You're listening to Don't Be an Asshole, a spiritual guide, a podcast where we discuss life, music, and spirituality. I'm your host, Eric Tomyer. All right, look at that. Time for episode number six. Today's special guest is Rhoda Nazanin, and I'm going to let her tell her own story. So we'll get to that in just a second. Before we get to Rhoda, I want to continue on with this little mini-series I'm doing on Mark chapter 12, verse 30, Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. A couple of weeks back, I said love God with all your heart is compassion, compassion towards people. To love God with all your soul is that wonder that connects. Last week, I hit love God with all your mind, but I cut it short. So I want to hit that again, and then we'll hit strength next time. To love God with all your mind, it means curiosity. Albert Einstein said, I have no special gift. I am only passionately curious. So I want all of us to be passionately curious. That connects us to the divine in a way that other ways don't. Heart, soul, and strength are very important. I really believe loving God with your mind is very important. There's a well-circulated rumor that once you reach a certain age, it becomes difficult to learn and retain new information. It's the, you can't teach an old dog new tricks myth. There was a study done in London with the cab drivers of the famed Black Cab Company. When comparing brain scans of these drivers to other people, it was discovered their posterior hippocampus was larger, which is the area of the brain responsible for processing spatial information, routes, traffic patterns, mathematics, etc. The really interesting thing to me was... Drivers who had been there the longest had the largest posterior hippocampi. So at 40 years of age, I can continue to learn and grow as a person without dumping old information out of my brain. We were created by God to continue to learn for the rest of our lives. So let that be an encouragement to you. And these little things that I've been picking up, obviously found in the Bible, also in a book by Mark Batterson called Primal. So check that book out and continue to learn. Love God with all your mind. All right, let's keep going. All right, it's time for another rendition of All Time 10. This is my favorite thing. This is not your list. This is my list. Uh, You can feel free to disagree with me. That's fine. You can leave a comment. You can say, no, that's not the way it is. We can get into an argument because this is America and we're allowed to do that. So what I'm going to do now is tell you my top 10 classic rock bass players. Again, these were active in the 60s and the 70s. Also, I'm leaving off this list some preeminent bass players from that time period because they weren't part of a classic rock band. They were session guys or they were in funk or jazz bands. So, you know, James Jamerson fans... Yes, he was probably the best modern bass player in history, but he's not on this list, okay? Number one, John Paul Jones from Led Zeppelin. Fight me for it. Number two, John Entwistle from The Who. He was the first guy to play lead bass. I mean, he was amazing. He would be number one on a lot of people's lists, but just listen to the Lemon Song by Led Zeppelin and tell me that's not freaking amazing. Number three, Paul McCartney from The Beatles. Those bass lines were freaking awesome. Number four, Jack Bruce from Cream. Number five, Geezer Butler from Black Sabbath. Number six, Roger Waters from The Pink Floyd. Number seven, Lemmy Kilmister from Motorhead. Number eight, Getty Lee from Rush. Number nine, Tina Weymouth from Talking Heads. Weymouth? Weymouth? Weymouth sounds better. Sounds correct. 
Anyway, and number 10, John McVie from Fleetwood Mac. Okay, this is what I'm going to do on these all-time 10s. I'm going to throw them out there on the podcast, and then I'm going to do a companion podcast where I go a little bit deeper on these things. It's going to be like episode five and a half, episode six and a half, just about the all-time tens. All right. We are recording, though. Grab this bad boy over here because... The notes I sent you. Okay. I am a person who likes to, you know, instead of typing it out like a normal person, right. I wrote it down on a notebook paper and right. then took a picture of it and then texted it to you. <laughs> I noticed because, that. <laughs> because I'm an animal, you know, I, I barely have opposing thumbs, you know. <laughs> it's good to see you. It's, it's see been you. a long time. How you been? I've been good. It's been good. It's been a season. It's I'll tell you season. that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got to talk a little bit before, so I enjoyed that. I enjoy our conversation. Uh, need to do it more often, first of all. I yeah. agree. I think anyone who has similar experiences, no one else really knows. No one else can really... If you've walked in the shoes that people have walked in, you, right. there, there's just a camaraderie there that, oh, totally. that exists. So anyway, so you got this new job at this great place. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. Yeah. I, I just, I think I could come here and just have coffee. Tell me a little bit about it. So the Skirball Cultural Center, Ooh. everyone who's driven on the 405 north or south, they've seen the exit, but they have no clue what it is. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, it's a cultural center. Um, at the same time, we have a, a museum that focuses on the vision and values of the Jewish history. Um and it's, it's great, but at the same time, we get exhibitions that come in for about 10 months. Every six months, they change, and we have Noah's Ark kind of built, and, and everything in the Noah's Ark is made from recycled items. So okay. All the animals, everything that you get to see and play with, or the kids get to play with, and adults. Um, oh, definitely. Oh, yeah. yeah. Adults love it sometimes more than kids do. Everything is made from recycled items, and it's super cool. And I have the pleasure of working here. The, the people here are just incredible. It's like a family, pretty much. We've been here since the 80s. So. Wow, yeah. yeah. You know, I talk to a lot of millennials as an Uber driver. Uh, I can't wait till that's no longer my uh, main source of income. <laughs> but they, they say stuff like the 80s as if it was a thousand years ago. I know. <laughs> I'm like, no, that just recently happened. Right. But to them, no. I mean, and I feel the same way about the 60s. Mm-hmm. You know, the 60s was, you know, 10, 15 years before I was born. So I think of Woodstock, which was only five years before I was born, right. as ancient history. Oh, totally. And so to someone born in 1996 mm-hmm. uh, or 2001, the fall of the Berlin Wall <laughs> is like something only in the history books. Yep. <laughs> it it dry it. Your, your perspective on time changes so drastically because there's been more time elapsed since 9-11 than mm-hmm. between the Berlin Wall and 9-11. Right. That doesn't make any sense to me. Because right. 9-11 like just happened. Yeah. It's still fresh because I guess I was an adult when it happened and it was mm-hmm. so intense as an adult to see that. And I was in junior high mm-hmm. when the Berlin Wall fell. And so I was like, geez Louise, man, that was forever ago. <laughs> yes. 
But yeah, perspective is anyway. I, I got on a tangent. That's what I do. I get on tangents because you said the '80s, and it made me think of all those kids. They're like the '80s, man. It was like so long ago. I know. And I'm like, it was not. It was not long it's ago. Not that long ago. <laughs> not that long ago. In the grand scope of you know, like compared to like you know Jesus walking around. Right. I guess. Right. <laughs> okay. Well, let's go ahead and dive right in. All right. Yeah. All right. So the first thing is just tell me a little bit about how you came into a spiritual awareness. Like, what was your your first, oh, there's something bigger than all of this out there somewhere. Yeah. Well, it was a bit of a challenge for me, not a challenge, different for me, because I was born into a pastor's family. Okay. So my dad was a pastor, um, heavily involved in church, you know, and I grew up in church. So for me, it was I was always taught that there is something there, that okay. God and salvation, all of the above. But my personal awakening or my personal experience where I just kind of had a one-on-one with God and it was no longer because I had been taught was actually about a year after my dad passed away. Oh, okay. Yeah. And, How old were you then? Um, at that point, I was about to hit 21. Oh. Um, he passed away right before I turned 20. And it just it came out of nowhere. So for me, I was... My third, I was starting my third year in college, and uh, it just it, it shocked me. I was very close to my dad, extremely close to him, um, closer than my mom or anyone else. We were very much alike. And when he passed away, it was a, it was a complete shock for me, and I didn't handle it very well. So I turned to um, relationships, drugs, alcohol. I ended up dropping out of college and uh, I was just unwell. Emotionally, mentally, I just couldn't Mm -hmm. do it. I went to church, made it seem like everything was okay, but I was not until it it came to a point where depression just hit me really hard at 20 and um, I I didn't know where to turn. I was in therapy. I was on medication. Everything you can imagine I tried to do except turn to God or, you know, to the higher being or whatever I'd been taught. I was trying to fix myself and try to find a way Um, until one night I just somehow ended up at a chapel that happened to be open at 11 o'clock at night. I walked in, just broke down. I was like, God, you got to help me. Um, if you do exist, if everything that I've been taught about you is true, uh, I need you to work a miracle on me. I don't know what joy is anymore. Right. I don't know what peace is. I've been faking it. I've been trying to numb everything with everything else in the world. And that's when I just started to notice a change in my life and my spirit and, you know, yeah, there, when you lose a parent, it's never easy. Even 15 years later, it's still not easy. That's when I just started that spiritual awakening where it's just like, God does exist in my life. I see the relationship happening. You know, it was, it was life-changing. Well, that's great that you found God in the, in the dark. Um, yeah. Not that you went through the dark. Of course. <laughs> um, but I think you don't realize that there is an absence of light until you walk through the dark. Right. Where were you living at this point? I was living at home with my mom and sister. 
in here in, in California? In, in, in L.A. Yeah, okay. I grew up in L.A. I've okay. never really left here. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, I wrote this down, like, way down the list. Um, you grew up in L.A. Mm-hmm. You've been here your whole life, essentially. For the most part, yeah. Why the Cubs? Why is... <laughs> Oh man, everybody asked that question. I, well, I mean, the it, inquiring minds want to know, you know. It, <laughs> well, it, it does involve family. Um, my or, the original family from both sides, my mom and my dad's side, when they moved to the states, one in the twenties and the other in in the sixties. And when they migrated to the states, they came through Ellis Island, New York, and okay. then from there they moved to Chicago. Okay, and they lived there. When I was like 16, 17 years old, I started finding this information out, and I love digging into history of okay. my family. And so I'm like, what? They lived in Chicago? No one told me this. I thought we were the first ones to move to America. And so I started doing a little digging, and then my mom found her uncle still alive in Chicago. Oh, wow. And we, he came to L.A. He started telling me all these stories about how he lived in, during the time of the Italian mafia that took over Chicago, and he would hang out with him. And I was just intrigued. <laughs> so he's giving me all these places, like, you got to go to Chicago, check this place out. This is where I used to live, blah, 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 blah. And I'm just like, done. I booked a ticket. I had a friend who lived out there. I said, this will be a good excuse to go see her as well. And so I went there, and I just fell in love with that city and i went in january which says a lot because it's super cold yeah (laughs) and being a californian it's like i've never experienced anything like that (laughs) i almost fell out of a chair um i'm so enthralled by the story i've yeah i I love chicago too Mm -hmm. i i've only been there like twice three times Mm -hmm. and one time I'm from the Midwest. I'm used to cold. I'm from Oklahoma, where it gets hot in the summer, cold in the winter. Right. But I left uh, like St. Louis, Missouri one night around 11 o'clock at night, had to drive to Chicago for a meeting. I got there around 2.30, 3 o'clock in the morning or 4 in the morning. I don't know how long, however long of a drive it is. And I had to get gas. I was mm-hmm. wearing a jacket because it's cold in Missouri in, right. in January because yeah. it's also when I went. And I got out of the car to fill up with gas, mm-hmm. and I was in physical pain. It was so cold. <laughs> I, I I was like, what the hell just happened to right. me? <laughs> My body, like, seized up, and I was in pain. Yeah. So the fact that anybody still lives there is a testament <laughs> to how tough they are yep. and how great the city is. Totally. So, yeah. yeah, so I can, I can see that. My... Uh, my dad grew up in no, middle of nowhere, Oklahoma, and there's no professional baseball team in Oklahoma. And so we were on the north side, like really close to Missouri. So mm-hmm. he grew up as a St. Louis Cardinals fan. Oh, no. Right. It, it's the most <laughs> successful team that's not the Yankees. Yeah. So um, as far as World Series wins, <laughs> which is something now that the Cubs know about. They won one. Finally. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm not a huge sports person, but my dad uh, loves mm-hmm. sports, loves uh, the Cardinals. So... I understand having like that connection through distance and family and genealogy and stuff. So my grandpa and him, I guess, used to go back in the 60s to see the Cardinals uh, play That's when cool. Stan Musial or Musial or, yeah. oh, geez, people are going to be like, oh, you son of a bitch. You don't even know how to <laughs> <laughs> It's like the greatest Cardinal of all time. <laughs> well, for me, baseball was always boring because mm-hmm. I never understood it. 
And then in 2016, which was the year that the Cubs won the World Series, I, I was like, yeah, I'm a Chicago Cubs fan, but I still didn't understand baseball well. I just knew the concept of it. So that year, 2016, was a really rough year for me. And to find a way to distract myself, I'm like, I'm going to find out everything there is to know about baseball. And so what I started doing was following the Cubs, their team, their every play from spring training all the way through to postseason. And I became that diehard fan. Like I got myself a jersey, a sweater, you know, all this memorabilia in my room. And, I'm, and it, was, it was a great thing. It was learning about baseball. And I actually went to my first Cubs game here in L.A. when they played the Dodgers in August, which was, which was a beautiful game. I'll still never forget it. And then they make it to the postseason. Then they make it to the World Series. And, I mean, if anybody watched that series, it was we were all on pins and needles. Like, to come back from, you know, a 1-3, we were, we were down. And we were, we were about to lose the World Series. And the way that it was, it was a Cinderella story. Yeah. You know, straight out of a book. I legit cried. I was watching <laughs> it from home. I sat. I was on my knees. I remember I was just bawling. Like, I can't believe this happened. It was the greatest thing ever. And then I swore. I said... When I go back to Chicago, I'm getting the Cubs tattooed on me. <laughs> and I was there this January, and I, I sure got the Cubs logo tattooed, and I was like, I'm, I'm a diehard fan. You yeah, know? awesome. <laughs> I, I won't even ask you to show nope. me. The- <laughs> um, <laughs> um, all right, well, you grew up in a pastor's house, mm-hmm. and then you, you found God when you were 21. When I knew you, when I first met you, uh, you were already involved in ministry. Mm-hmm. And w- so when did that happen? When did you start deciding that you were supposed to be doing something in that regard? Well, I was, as a pastor's kid, you're immediately in ministry. Right. Especially if you're part of a small church, you do anything and everything. Um, what happened was when my dad passed away as the senior pastor of the church, it was it was so out of the blue. We weren't ready for it. Mm-hmm. Um, my family and I weren't ready for it. The church wasn't ready. So my brother had, was already credentialed. He was certified, and um, he stepped in and started, you know, leading the church. And then at that time, actually, I was in the process of moving to San Jose to finish my education at San Jose State University. And this all happens in May, just as I finished my second year. And in August, I'm supposed to move to San Jose. What ended up happening, I said, okay, I'll delay this for about six months, help the church however I can. But I just started with youth ministry, worship ministry, anything that I could help with. And uh, I realized that there's no going to San Jose. I need to stay. My heart wasn't in it. I didn't want to serve. I wanted to just move to San Jose, start my life and do my thing. But I also wanted to be there for my family and for the church that is pretty much family to me because I didn't have any aunts or uncles here. It was just mom and dad and siblings. So I just stayed. As I continued serving in the church, I noticed that I think my calling is here, you know, at that time, definitely felt it. And as as I grew closer to the Lord and, you know, got to know God on a different level, 
I just wanted to help people. Right. I just wanted to love on people. And I just wanted to meet other people who went through the same things that I did. And I wanted to support them. And, you know, kind of like you said, when you go through the same journey, you just kind of get each other on a totally different level. And so by the time I was 21, I knew that I wanted to serve in the church. And that's when I wanted to pursue the studying theology, getting credentialed. And that's a whole nother story. Yeah. <laughs> I, I want to get there, but these podcasts go in half-hour segments. I don't want all the good stuff to be in the first half hour. Uh, totally. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, what I, one of the things I want to ask everybody, and so we'll jump back into your story in a little bit, but something that's going to be in every podcast is something about music. You play music, mm-hmm. and I, I'm a guitar player. I don't know if you know that. Um, I do. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Not you know, not everybody does. I played like thirty years, and then I don't play hardly anymore. Mm-hmm. And I've seen you like mess around with the guitar and stuff. And I know you like music because music is one of those things that just connects with people. Totally. I don't know what your style is. I'm not really sure what you <laughs> what you like. But the question I always ask everybody is: Tell me about a song that always takes you back to the same memory. You know, it it could be light it could be funny it could be a a dark memory and then we'll explore that memory a little bit and we'll talk about the uh, if the song sucks or if it's good (laughs) (laughs) that's a good question well i listen to so much music and so many different styles the only thing i don't listen to is metal or country okay some country i might like you know but Carrie Underwood, whatever, you know, but I mostly, I love gangster hip hop, mm. you know, I'm, I'm from LA, so. Yeah, I'm, very, I'm pretty gangster myself. <laughs> I don't know if you can tell by looking. Oh, totally. Yeah. <laughs> I love my hip hop. I love um, electric, like dance, um, alternative, just, I have an appreciation for music. I mean, any 90s music will take you back. Oh, yeah. You listen to the Backstreet Boys, yeah, you remember, or Tupac or stuff like that. But specifically, there's, like, I feel like so much music has come out in the last five, six years that it's just, like, and I, I have a playlist of, like, four or 500 songs, and I keep adding to it, and I always listen through the entire thing. But there's one song that, no matter what, every time it comes up, it doesn't take me back too far. Um, this is, the same, name of the song is Inner Bloom. It's by Rufus DeSoul. It's like a, here, I'll show it to you. It's the second one from the bottom. Okay. Interbloom, Rufus DeSoul. All right, tell, yeah. me, tell me about what, what art takes you. So this song, last summer for my birthday, I decided to take a road trip okay. by myself in my little Prius. I went to Arizona for about four to five days and just camped in my car, saw the Grand Canyon, um, did some hiking and photography, and I made an uh, Arizona trip playlist. And this song was one of the songs on there. And I, for some reason, the song is just, it's electric, so it's a little different. Not everybody, everybody might like it, but the lyrics is just kind of, I don't know, it just resonated with me, and the music is super chill, and Every, you know, you're driving by yourself for six, seven hours at a time. And, you know, and this song is probably like five, six minutes long. So it's one of the longer tracks. It's just super, it's just chill. And every time I remember, um, hear the song, I remember that trip. Because okay. it was a big deal for me. For the first time ever, I was road tripping alone. And I... It sounds had, like heaven to me. 
it <laughs> I bet. <laughs> well, this trip was it was a heaven for me by the time I got back. Um it was a new experience. 2017 was a very very difficult year for me, especially the beginning of it. Just coming to terms with the struggles that I was going through and accepting the fact that I do struggle with depression mm-hmm. and anxiety and and it's very much real. It's not something that just goes away right. instantly or with medic it helps medication here and there, but it's part of my story. And being alone and being making it through that trip, it, I had never been happier. I just I felt like I had time to spend by myself. I had time to spend talking to God, getting to know God in a different way and just expressing myself the way that I want to. For such a long time, I felt like I did things according to how everybody else wanted them done. Family, church, my community. Being Iranian and Assyrian, our communities are tight. They pay attention to everything. And so (laughs) you have to do things a certain way. God forbid if someone gets upset. God forbid if you offend someone. And I just felt like I was living to please everybody else. And the one of the lyrics in this song, it's great. Like, if you want me, if you need me, I'm yours. Just reach out, you know. And wow. um, and it's it's probably my favorite part. It's the bridge towards the end. It takes forever to get to it, but uh, I'll have to get get there because yeah, you just blew my mind saying that uh, electronic music has lyrics. I yeah. I uh, <laughs> see. I didn't know. I'm an old white man. Um, I'm not that much older than you, but I'm so much older than you. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> And I'll prove it with the song that I was thinking of on the because I the song came on my Pandora list on my way here. Mm-hmm. Another thing that makes me sound old is I use Pandora still. Um, Not judging. Yeah, the free one too because I'm like I just want to hear what's gonna happen. You know, <laughs> you know, surprise me. Right. Um, this song called "Bring It On Home" by Led Zeppelin came right. on. All right, came out in the early '70s before I was born. I was born in 1974. People, I'm not. Yeah, I'm pretty. I'm 43 years old, but this song was a song I always put on the jukebox. Another thing that makes me sound old, at this pool hall I used to hang out at in high school, mm-hmm. a place called the Quarter House in Norman, Oklahoma, on campus corner near the University of Oklahoma. Nice. I had uh, great fountain drinks and like bar food. It's a place where you know 17 and 18 year olds, you know, assholes like me could hang out. You know. <laughs> And you smoked inside back then. So, I mean, we would play pool, smoke cigarettes, get high. And uh, I went in and I put, you got three plays for a dollar. And I always put this song and a couple of others on as soon as I walked in. But what it reminds me of specifically is going in there. And I am really, not anymore, I've been married 20 years. I don't care anymore. But back then and before I met Rebecca, super shy around girls, mm-hmm. like could not talk to them. Right. Like I, I've looked at myself in the mirror. I know what I look like. You know, <laughs> I, I'm like, I'm not going up there. And I walked in and I put that song on and the girl that worked there at that point in place in my life was the most beautiful human being I'd mm-hmm. ever seen. And she was like, oh, I love that song. And immediately I'm like, I love you. But I didn't say that. <laughs> um, and I don't remember her name. I don't remember what she looks like. Right. I remember nothing except there was like a, a momentary connection mm-hmm. over a song 
And so every time that song comes on, I don't think about it like during the whole song. Sure. Um, I like, you know, enjoy the harmonica and the bass and the drums. And then all of a sudden it goes into that like bridge, this big break in the song. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember that chick from uh, the Quarter House in Norman. Yeah. That was like 28 years ago. Right. Crazy. And then that, then, it, then, then the memory's gone. Mm-hmm. But it was a, a moment of confidence that I had that I never had before. That's awesome. Yeah. I grew up in a, uh, a town of about 100,000 people, so it's like tiny here, mm-hmm. you know, compared to L.A. Mm-hmm. In Oklahoma, it's considered kind of a big town. It's the third biggest town in Oklahoma. But for part of my time, I, I lived, I went to high school for a year and a half in this town called Fairland, Oklahoma, mm-hmm. a town of 900 people. Oh, my God. Yeah. So when you talked about the Persian and Assyrian community, mm-hmm. this is nothing like that except for everybody knows what everybody's doing. Right. I remember coming home from, I was driving crazy on a dirt road, mm-hmm. uh, doing donuts in my car. Mm-hmm. And I got home and my grandpa was like, so you're uh, pulling donuts out by Hudson Creek, huh? And I was like, <laughs> how the hell do you know that? This is before Some, the internet too, right? <laughs> there was no internet. There was, AOL wasn't a thing. You know, there was no email. There was no World Wide Web. There was just the uh, social media back then was, you know, mod calling, you know, calling grandpa and papa, you know, yep. it's like, hey, I saw your grandkid over there. He's tearing up the road. <laughs> like, well, I'll get him. Yeah, small oh town. Gosh. I got whipped in school by a paddle. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, as a high school student. Wow. Yeah. So, anyway. That's normal in the schools in Iran. <laughs> if that makes you feel any better. <laughs> it does. It absolutely does. All right. 